Hello, and thanks for tuning in to another edition of Fisher Investments Market Insights Podcast, where we discuss our firm's latest thinking on global capital markets and current events. My name is Naj Srinivas, Vice President of Corporate Communications here at the firm, and today I'm joined by Group Vice President of Client Services, Eric Renault. Hello, Naj. Eric, today I wanted to talk to you a little bit about our forecast for the year and some common client questions we've got from around the country. That sounds great. So starting right off, Eric, um, what did we say the year was going to look like and how has that turned out so far? So our forecast at the beginning of the year, and I'm going to go through this pretty much verbatim to what we were forecasting at the start of the year, was that we thought this would be a great year for global equities which I think frankly caught a lot of people by surprise. Remember, we'd just been through a couple of years in the global stock market where markets drifted sideways and had lots of volatility up and down, but didn't get much in the way of overall returns. And we were forecasting this was going to be a fantastic year for stocks. And that's really exactly what we've seen with very little in the way of interruption. This has been a phenomenal year for equity markets. Yeah, global stocks have largely risen since that correction early in 2016 that bottomed out in February 2017. The MSCI World Index is up about 20% right now, sitting here mid-year or mid-December. That's right. Yeah, and, and maybe even a little bit more than that. So, I mean, it's been a really phenomenal run with, I think, a lot of people perhaps trying to attribute it to a Trump rally. But what we've been saying throughout is that what we've seen in 2017 is really a continuation of the recovery we saw off that correction bottom in early 2016, which has caught a lot of folks by surprise. If you think about that that Trump rally logic, I mean, we had eight GOP candidates in February 2016, so there really wasn't a Trump rally there at all. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think the part that has been most surprising to a lot of investors is considering uh, you, you get a few years of flattish markets, six or seven years into a bull market expansion, and there were a lot of folks thinking that perhaps that was the beginning of the end, that perhaps that was that rolling top. And we've done a lot of work on this. We've been evaluating the capital markets over the last 100 years' worth of market history, and one of the things we found is that after flat periods in bull market expansions, what you ordinarily get is a strong reacceleration into that final third of a bull market rather than the rolling top that is indicative of of a bear market, which I think there were a lot of people expecting. And so now that we've seen that acceleration from early 2016, that leads us to really believe that we're in that final third of the bull market. This bull market's almost nine years old. It'll be nine years old in March of next year, right? That's exactly right, Naj. It'll be March 9th, 2018. That'll mark the uh, ninth birthday of this bull market, which is setting this up to be one of the longest bull markets ever. Which I think, of course, very naturally raises questions of how long can it go? And I think it's accurate to say the market is reaching all-time highs, obviously, that valuations have increased modestly. But for a bear market to develop, you'd need to see not just high stock prices, but also some kind of fundamental deterioration. And we're very cognizant of the fact markets have risen a lot. But as we look out on the horizon, there aren't a lot of big fundamental weaknesses we're seeing that could cause that big downturn that so many folks are looking for. How long does the average bull market last? The average bull market runs about five and a half years, but there's quite a bit of um, spread in that number, which is to say if the average is around five and a half years, you see some go as long as eight, nine, 10 years. You see some go as short as just a couple of years. Again, what's really important there is understanding not only the duration of typical bull markets, 
But taking it a step further and understanding what are the fundamental underpinnings and drivers of that bull market, because that'll ultimately tell you when this thing is going to turn over into a bear. So this bull market could rival or even surpass that 1990s bull market that ran 10 plus years, right? That's exactly right. I think one of the things people often uh, overlook about the 1990s is um, many folks remember the, the statement of irrational exuberance and, and markets feeling overheated. And those comments were starting as early as 1996 and 1997. And you didn't get that market really cooling off and turning over into a bear for three or four more years. Now, we're not making three or four year forecasts, but the point is you can get people pointing to um, all-time highs, expanding valuations early on and still see the market continue climbing for the next few years here. So let's switch gears here for a moment and talk a little bit about economics. What was our forecast for economic growth and how is that worked out relative to reality? Our forecast for the year was that the global economic expansion would continue. And there are always going to be pockets of strength and weakness around the world. We don't make specific economic forecasts, mainly because there are so many puts and takes in global GDP numbers. But the thing that really matters is what's going on with earnings. And our forecast for the year is that earnings would be expanding in the range of double digits. And that's exactly what we've seen worldwide, with some areas growing very quickly, other areas growing a little bit more slowly. But on balance, you're seeing very healthy earnings growth across the global economy. And if you think about what really is underpinning some of that earnings growth, it's still a very healthy financial system with lending increasing around the world, some pockets seeing more strength, some pockets seeing weakness. But if you go back to the beginning of 2017, there was a lot of concern that as the Fed was going to embark on a rate tightening cycle here in the U.S., that that would really start to crimp off credit growth and lending across the global economy. And what we've seen is just the opposite, where lending had been strong in the U.S. for some time. It's continued growing, although at a slower rate. But you've seen that offset by lending increasing in other big drivers of the global economy like Europe and even in the developing markets where um, overall credit expansion has re remained positive. 2017 politics, especially politics in the United States, has been a very, very big topic. How has politics impacted our forecast for stocks this year? Well, let me preface my answer by saying we are politically agnostic at Fisher. We will do very sober analysis of how politics might impact the capital markets, but we're really not going to come out with any statement saying that Republicans or Democrats are generally better for business, because uh, neither are. What we've said throughout the year, even going back into 2016, is that as you get more clarity about the political environment, not only, only in the U.S., but globally, that that would open the door to more equity gains as people realized that the ability of politicians to pass big legislation and big new regulations will be limited by ongoing and persistent gridlock. And while it's true that in the U.S. we elected a Republican president and the Republicans control both houses of Congress, um, their ability to pass major legislation that meaningfully changes the rules of business has been much more limited than I think people thought. Um, many people today are asking us about the tax bill in the U.S., and it certainly appears the Republicans are going to get something done. But the question is what, and will it have the ability to really impact the broader economy and the overall earnings growth we just talked about, and that being a continued driver of stock prices as we look out into 2018. 
I think there are a lot of questions there still, but as we do the analysis globally, looking beyond just the U.S., what we've seen is elections in France and Austria and Germany coming and going without meaningfully changing the politically, political landscape and without meaningfully changing the fact that we continue to have gridlock, which might be frustrating personally as citizens of the world. You, you want to see governments uh, making pr productive decisions that help push the economy forward. But at the same time, the reality is if legislation and regulation aren't changing meaningfully, it leaves businesses open to continue making plans to expand profitability and margins, and that tends to be very good for, for overall capital markets. Overall, stocks hate uncertainty, and when you have gridlock, that reduces uncertainty. So the fact that, say, the United States, the Republican Party hasn't been able to get a lot of big, broad, sweeping things done, and then abroad you still have this gridlock, that's a good thing because it reduces that, the ability for them to pass big, broad, sweeping legislation, therefore reducing uncertainty. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, and with every successive election we've seen, we, 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 we see really an extension of the status quo in a lot of ways where um, I think Germany being a very good example of this, yes, Merkel wins the election, but she's weakened. And that means her party has a very difficult time passing legislation. That's the same story in the UK. And even to a certain extent in the U.S., you're seeing um, the GOP having some trouble passing big legislation despite the fact they have majorities. Switching gears back to tax reform for a second, historically, how have tax reform policies, whether they be hikes or cuts, impacted stocks? Sure. We're getting this question from clients on a regular basis, and uh, rightfully so. What our clients have been most surprised about is when you go back and you do the, the analysis and you say, how do ta tax increases or decreases impact stock markets on a going forward basis? Whether you're making changes to the income tax rate, corporate tax rate, capital gains tax rate, what surprises people the most is that there's almost no relationship there whatsoever. There are roughly equal amounts of periods where tax decreases result in markets moving up and down by roughly the exact same margin. And it's the same story when you look at corporate and capital gains taxes, which really goes against our gut feel on this. I think it's natural for people to feel that lower taxes must be good and thus it must be good for the markets. But of course, markets do a very good job discounting the effect of this kind of thing in advance. And so making investment decisions based on widely known legislation, thinking that you're going to get an edge on the markets is, is really a fool's errand. Does timing of hikes historically or cuts have anything to do with the market returns? Because it strikes me that you mentioned that hikes almost always have higher returns than cuts historically when you look at the averages. So I, I got to figure that timing has to do something with it. Yeah, isn't that a perverse relationship? You, you know, I think it, you have to get into the head of a politician and I know that can be a scary place for our listeners out there, but um, you have to get into the head of a politician to think about how that might come out because it's very difficult to pass a tax hike when things are going poorly. Okay, so when the market is rising and the economy is growing, well, that's going to be your best opportunity to try to pass a tax hike, whether it's big or small. And if you think about the fact that things beyond just tax policy are really what's driving the stock market, well, then you could actually do some analysis that shows that tax hikes create higher economic growth because tax hikes will tend to come coincident with higher economic growth and frothy positive markets. Just the opposite is true as well. You will tend to try to pass tax cuts 
when households are feeling financial squeezes, when, when the economy is not growing all that well, when the market looks a little rocky. Um, and it's in those environments where you pass a tax cut and perhaps the economy continues to be weak or the markets continue to be weak and you can even have a period where a tax cut would appear to produce forward-looking weak returns. So Eric, one of our forecasts for the year was that this is probably going to be a year where non-U.S. stocks really start to shine. How has that worked out? It's worked out very well, I think, to the surprise of a lot of people. Remember, this bull market, for the most part, has been driven by U.S. stocks, or at least led by U.S. stocks for the bulk of the whole cycle. Of course, no one category of stocks will always lead. There's some cyclicality in that, and naturally so. Um, foreign stocks have had a very nice run this year. Um, the the non-U.S. stock markets are nicely ahead of U.S. stocks so far this year. And we would expect that trend to continue, but probably not for the reasons you think. If you look at fundamental economic growth and even earnings growth, I think there's a, a good argument to be made that you will see higher absolute growth rates out of the United States. However, the missing piece in all of this is that it's not just economic or earnings growth that are ultimately driving stock market returns. It's how fundamental growth meets with sentiment. And that's really where I think foreign stocks have a lot more room to run. The fundamentals in the foreign and non-U.S. markets are quite positive. They have been quite positive for some time. But I think the real difference and the reason that non-U.S. stock markets have done so well this year, and frankly will likely continue to do well for the next couple of years here, is that sentiment toward those countries and toward those economies has been so low after a really rough go of it for a few years after that bear market bottom back in, in uh, 2009. So speaking of sentiment, this has probably been one of the most unloved bull markets in history. People have been doggedly skeptical for some time. Are we starting to see some signs of optimism yet? Well, you're absolutely right that this has been the most unloved bull market we've really ever experienced. I mean, it's been now, we're, we're coming up on nine years this bull market has been running. We're talking about massive returns for stock investors. Um, and people are still not believers. You turn on the news today and what you see is, how do you hedge your portfolio? When's this thing coming to an end? How much gold should you have in the accounts? How do you, how do you buy puts to protect yourself? Um, which is just the opposite of what you would expect to see sentiment-wise at this stage in a bull market. We're coming up on nine years worth of expansion. You would expect people to be saying not so much, how do I protect myself, but more, how do I get more exposure to it? And whether you're looking at the financial press, whether you're looking at um, professional analysts making forecasts out into the future, or even talking to individual investors, there's still a massive amount of skepticism out there, which... I think has surprised a lot of folks who are on the more behavioral or even contrarian side of things, um, because by this point in the bull market, you would expect to see a lot more optimism, particularly considering the fundamentals are positive, the returns have been good, valuations aren't out of whack, things look pretty good, but there's still a tremendous amount of skepticism out there. Well, Eric, that's all we have time for today. Thank you very much for joining us and for your thoughts. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Nash. Investing in securities involves the risk of loss. Past performance is no guarantee of future returns. The content of this podcast represents the opinions and viewpoints of Fisher Investments and should not be regarded as personal investment advice. No assurances are made we will continue to hold these views, which may change at any time based on new information, analysis, or reconsideration. 
Copyright Fisher Investments 2017.